Thank you, Paul. I think you'll really enjoy this next talk by Russ Tracy, who's professor of pathology and biochemistry at the University of Vermont. He is basically, I think, the, knows more about the inflammatory markers as it relates to disease than anybody else I know. Russ? Well, thank you, uh, John and Paul, for the invitation. It's my pleasure to be here. Uh, let me orient myself to all my stuff here. We got pointer, we got clicker. So we're ready to go. The um, slide I usually start with is this, and those of you old enough like me to remember Pogo, probably remember this poster from the 70s, which says that in, in looking at surveying the swamp with all the garbage in it, Pogo turns to the audience and says, we found the enemy and he is us. And that's our view of how inflammation works. It's both something we absolutely require to uh, live our lives in a dangerous world, but it's also something that builds up damage over the life course and provides problems for us later. So the enemy is really truly us in many ways. So I'm going to try and do three things. One, talk a little bit about aging and how to define it talk about what we think about inflammation associated with aging, and then talk about some of the newer work with HIV infection and possible effects on aging, leading to a concept that's popular right now to think about HIV infection as accelerated aging. And in trying to think about aging, there are a lot of different ways to define it. You can define it biochemically and ask what happens over time, physiologically, functionally, and clinically. And I'm going to try a little bit to pull those together in our thinking. Uh, this talk is a little bit different in several ways. One, I won't ask you any questions. Two, I'm a PhD, not an MD, so I can expound wonderfully about medications because I have no responsibility whatsoever for actually giving them to anybody. <laughs> and it has a little basic science in it. So uh, we're not going to dive too deep into that, but I think it, it will help illustrate how these things connect up at the end of the day. Um, and one of the big questions in the aging research community, and since I've been studying aging since about 1990 or so, I suppose I'm an aging researcher in the full definition of that term in all possible ways. Um, what about diseases associated with increasing age? Atherosclerosis, diabetes, osteoporosis. We've heard a lot about dementia and, and frailty. Are they different from aging? Are they part of aging? This gets debated endlessly among the researchers in this field uh, as, as we try to come to grips with what it means. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. This is the holy grail of aging research, rectangularizing the health curve, as it's called. And if this is some marker of health on the y-axis, and here's age on the x-axis, here's what we do. We, we become rapidly very healthy at a very young age most of the time. We start to decline. And at around the age of 40, our evolutionary uh, uh, natural selection processes, have that's the age that we're expected to live to. Sorry about all that, but, but that, there's a lot of evidence that confirms that, and so this is what we're designed to do, live short and die fast. <laughs> what we want to do is live long and die fast, making that curve a rectangle. That's where the terminology of rectangularization comes from. That's what we would prefer to do, and here's what we currently do. We live long and die slow, and we use a lot of interventions to try and help us along the way. But at the end of the day, there's often a, a dwindling process involved 
that is painful, expensive, and inappropriate from the original design of us and the design that we prefer to have now in the modern world. So we call this the morbidity gap, and we're trying to figure out what causes it and how to interrupt it to the best of our ability. One of the things that's become clear to us, and this is, uh, you know, if you have kids in the, in the teenage or, in my case, somewhat older than that category, they'd slap their head and go, duh, at this slide. But this is one of those slides that humans are integrated organisms. And it's interesting how over the last hundred years of research we've kind of forgotten that. And we tend to study in a very myopic way one organ system or one disease. And what we and many others, of course, have been trying to do is pull this all together again in this concept of health. And as things decline, what are the effects on the other organ systems due to the declining nature of any one of these. Since um, I began my research in heart disease and, and cardiovascular, and since it's my slide, so I get to make what's red what I want, I get to make the vasculature red because I think it's really important. But, but many others would make other organs on this slide red instead of me. And the truth is they're all interactive and integrated in a very important way, and we can't forget that. And one way to think about this, Linda Freed and colleagues developed, uh, I was part of that team quite a long time ago now, a, fi a clinical or, or physiological definition of frailty based on things you could measure. The time it takes you to walk a certain distance or grip strength in your hand or a variety of things like that. And if you take that definition of frailty as an outcome and then look in populations of people where you might look at those who are not frail, sort of on their way or intermediate and then fully functionally frail, and you measure 12 different things across a variety of physiologic systems, what you see is that in the non-frail group, most of these people, these, this elderly group of, of men and women, uh, have none of, nothing wrong in any of those systems. And as you go to them that are clearly frail, many of them have five or more things wrong across all these systems. So this shows a parallel decline in functionality across a variety of systems with aging, leading to this concept of frailty unless some disease in a particular organ kills you first and you die from that before you get to be that. And that, and that's, that multifunctionality uh, is really part of um, what we try to do uh, in, in, that other in that other slide. Uh, back one more. Uh, that was, if I can get you to go back one more, no? Yes, that was here, as all these systems interact one with another. Okay, so um, having at least made an attempt to give some idea about what aging is and, and how the systems interact in that process, let's talk a little bit about inflammation. Inflammation, first thing I think we need to do, um, if I can go forward, is give a definition. Um, we tend to include in inflammation things like the innate immune system, the adaptive immune system, and the coagulation system when we talk about it. But from a functional standpoint, um, inflammation is a foundational biologic process. We can't live without it. It's our interface between the insides of us and the outside world where we exchange all sorts of important nutrients and waste products, and inflammation is the regulator and allows us to do that. And in many ways, uh, it comprises four things. One is homeostatic tissue remodeling. Uh, th this is first a system where tissue is destroyed and then rebuilt. Uh, think about enlarging a bone from, the, from this size when you're a baby to this size when you're an adult. Uh, an engineer would cut it in the middle and put in a spacer. 
you don't do that. You destroy it at the ends and then rebuild it out further and further. And then through your whole lifetime, continue to destroy that bone and replace it. So we do a lot of this work. The capacity declines with age. Uh, and it's done by the same cells in many ways, the same mediators, the same cytokines that, that are playing a role in, in some of the other inflammation-related processes like bacterial and viral defense, another capacity that declines with age, <clears throat> wound repair, uh, similar to remodeling but much more aggressive rebuilding and doesn't yield uh, the same quality tissue uh, often fibrotic material, but it's emergency in its nature. This capacity also declines with age. And then what we call chronic low-level wound repair, response to low-level insults that occur chronically. And, and examples of this include uh, lipid in the wall of the artery mimicking dead cells. And so the system tries to remove them and rebuild what's there. It includes uh, uh, the liver trying to respond to alcoholic damage, the, the lungs trying to respond to smoking. There's a wide variety of these that are environmentally induced and, and that we spend a lot of our lives and energy uh, responding to. So if we think about that broad definition of inflammation, what we know is that from a wide variety of studies of inflammation biomarkers, uh, um, that virtually all of these aging outcomes are associated with higher levels of these biomarkers. So atherosclerosis and various other forms of, of chronic cardiovascular disease and diabetes, uh, some cancers, uh, cognitive decline, uh, pulmonary decline, renal decline, frailty as we defined it before, all of these are associated. When you have these things, you have higher levels. And in population studies that are longitudinal, people with higher levels are at increased risk of developing those things. So it, it's a, a lot of evidence over the last 25 years that Im implicate inflammation in these processes through some of the mechanisms we've discussed already. So which is it then, aging uh, influencing inflammation or inflammation influencing aging? And we'll take a shot at this one first and show a nice study by Luigi Ferrucci, who runs a study called Inchianti, which is, uh, oh, I guess my one question, located where in the world? <laughs> ah, Chianti, very good. So it's a wonderful Italian epidemiology study that is located in Chianti. It's, it's uh, in this case, we're about 1,300 men and women. Uh, ages 20 to 102, and they're sampled from the general population and are pretty healthy at uh, baseline. And these are normalized data for C-reactive protein and fibrinogen in men and women across the age ranges that you see here, and they clearly go up with age. But Luigi has gone to a lot of effort and his team to take those same biomarkers and put them in statistical models which assume very low risk profiles and no major comorbidities, especially no cardiovascular disease over time. And if you do that, you get a finding that suggests there's very little increase with age in the absence of those disorders. So increasing inflammation with aging may not be, by this definition, something that has to happen. It happens predominantly because of increasing underlying disease burden. But we can also talk about higher inflammation if you have it and what effect it may have on aging. And there are lots of mechanisms which are now clearly established that, that allow us to speculate that, in fact, higher inflammation may have an effect on the rapidity at which you lose uh, functionality across your organ systems. And so there's an immunosenescence associated with increased uh, inflammation. This is very important in the HIV world, we now know. Uh, infl inflammation can degrade tissue microenvironments, as we all 
wrinkle with age, we're fully aware of that one and the, and the implications that has. But it's going on throughout you, not just in your skin and dermis. Destruction of tissue environments, especially around uh, um, uh, stem cells, meaning they can't, uh, the stem cell niches can be destroyed, thickening of, of the, of the uh, structure uh, around, for example, muscle satellite cells, uh, uh, impeding their formation and distribution. So you can get a lot of changes in how functional you are in a lot of ways uh, because of this, which leads to an attempt uh, to think about uh, remodeling and, and possibly a definition of aging is how remodeling may go wrong. Uh, this is on bone. Uh, this, this simply shows bone quality on the y-axis over age in men, in men and women. And you can see, again, our friendly year of 40 decline in that quality. And what you see uh, is a fracture threshold. Uh, women tend to hit it first because they start with less bone than men do. But, but at the end of the day, you're getting poorer quality developed during this remodeling process. Uh, in certain tissues, bone, liver, fat, you do a lot of this. You replace 5 to 10% of yourself every year. And you're all doing it right now as we speak. Aren't you busy at remodeling yourselves? And, and some brain, hopefully not too much remodeling goes on. Cardiomyocytes, about 1 to 2% per year. And, and so it's a variety across, the, across your body. But you're doing a lot of this work right now. And if this were to be a major cause of functional decline, for example, uh, it would represent uh, a very important one. So one mechanistic definition, then, is a multifaceted process by which self-renewal fails. In other words, homeostatic remodeling gone bad. And that's one we've been pursuing a lot in a wide variety of study, studies to try and understand whether, well, first of all, wh what is the cause of the loss of remodeling capacity? Why, why do you remodel your bone worse after the age of 40 than you did before? We don't actually know, but there are a bunch of potential mechanisms for that. I've listed some here. Uh, you can build up nuclear DNA damage. We know this occurs over time. So the cells become less functional. Build up of protein damage, especially in long-lived proteins. The half-life of collagen in your skin is 17 years. So that that is there a long time, and as it's exposed to the sun and ultraviolet radiation, it breaks down. Well, that's occurring to a lesser extent than that in a wide variety of other tissues in your body. And so there is a buildup of protein damage along with DNA damage. A mitochondria lose DNA over time. So there's a loss of mitochondrial DNA over time that leads to a loss of electron transport and the ability to produce ATP. There's loss of replicative capacity because of telomere loss at the end of the cells. This is, you see, a lot of play recently. And that then, of course, leads to a loss of partially differentiated stem cells. A big one in your field is naive T cells, or T0 thymocytes. And you lose the capacity to make them as the thymus involutes over time, accelerating what, what is an HIV-driven uh, uh, loss of adaptive immune function, accelerating it even more by the generalized loss of the ability to produce naive T cells. So, and leading to an immunosenescence. So if you take these effects on this large system, I've really talked uh, in, not in detail about too much of the adaptive or the coagulation part of it. Mainly we focused on the innate immune part of it. But this important system is affected by those environmental age-related changes and, of course, by your genes, leading to a variety of the functional characteristics of aging that we see. So there's the remodeling diseases we see across Sarcopenia is probably the classic example. As you age, you just lose muscle. But you know what? You lose lung, you lose kidney, you lose 
just about every organ you have, little bits at a time, over time. And if you layer on top of that acquired diseases in this low-level wound healing kind of mode, like atherosclerotic disease and liver fibrosis due to alcohol and et cetera, et cetera, then you end up with an acceleration of that system, and inflammation can drive both sides of that story. And we use atherosclerosis as a model for aging in the sense that constant lipid infiltration mimics tissue damage and cell death, leading to a, a constant chronic inflammation and fibrosis and, and ultimately the loss of arterial function. It's actually a very clear model of that, of that low-level wound healing part of what we've been describing. Okay. So now where does HIV fit in all this? Well, of course, I don't really know, but we have some speculation that, that helps us think about how it might fit in here. And so let me go through that, and I'll try and make four points. The first one is that despite being an immunodeficiency disease, it's actually an inflammatory disorder. And if we were to go back and think about those two pieces, those three pieces of inflammation that I discussed before, I mentioned um, the innate immune system and the adaptive immune system and the coagulation system, what we have there is two of the three are upregulated in the inflammatory disorder, the innate immune system and the coagulation system, and one of the three is downregulated because of the unique nature of that particular viral infection, the adaptive immune system. So you're going to get a, a, a loss of adaptive immunity or dysregulation, dysfunctionality to a greater and lesser degree in different people, but you're going to get a hyper increase in the innate side and the coagulation side. And how do we know all this? Well, these are some of the data. Uh, we've done some work in the, in the Insight Group in the SMART study and compared them to one of our major epidemiology studies that we're involved in. My laboratory does a lot of population-based work, about a third of it now in HIV studies, but, but two-thirds of it and not in HIV studies. So we think about these interactions a lot, and since we made all the measurements, we could compare the data. And in the upper graph, it's uh, relatively uh, younger middle-aged folks and in the lower graph, it's some older folks. Uh, these are uh, percent differences between those with HIV and age and gender matched, uh, in fact, matched across a variety of, of physiologic and environmental uh, characteristics in the, in the MESA study, multi-ethnic study of atherosclerosis. And what you can see is that for inflammatory biomarkers in the younger and the older folks, is somewhere between a 50 and 100% increase when you compare people as carefully as you can. And these are in, in smart, reasonably well-controlled uh, HIV seropositive folks. Inflammation is associated with risk of death from all causes, not just AIDS-related. You know, and that became an, an important understanding for us, that when we look at the, at the risk of mortality in a study like SMART and now a variety of others, the MAX and the WISE and the, across a, a number of different studies, now this work has been, been verified, that inflammation is associated with a variety of outcomes. This was from the SMART study just to illustrate it, and these are now adjusted for everything but the kitchen sink, as we'd say in epidemiology. It's all your HIV markers, but it's also all the cardiovascular disease risk markers and, and anything we could think of adjusting for. And in the upper quartile uh, compared to the bottom quartile at baseline of these biomarkers, 
Um, IL-6 as a marker of inflammation, the, the uh, odds ratio was 12 for mortality within about two and a half years. D-dimer, a marker of coagulation activation, it was remarkable odds ratio of over 40 for mortality in the next two to three years. Even C-reactive protein showed a, 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 um, a odds ratio of mortality of about three, but I'm going to come back to that because that's a lot less than 12 for IL-6. And yet, in general epidemiology, those two offer odds ratios that are almost always about the same. So it was an interesting finding here, and I'm going to come back to that one in just a second. But clearly, inflammation predicts mortality in, in SMART and many other studies now. And, and what did they, these folks die, fr die from? Well, th there was some progression onto AIDS and, of course, some of, uh, you know, accidental deaths and suicides and substance abuse deaths. But if you take those out of the equation, think about cancer, excluding AIDS-defining cancers and cardiovascular disease, this looks like a list of what a bunch of 90-year-olds would die from in a general epidemiology study. There's, there's a little bit more cancer in this group than heart disease, than what we see in general epidemiology. But other than that, these are basically a, a broad-based set of causes of mortality that... Um, are not remarkable compared to what regular HIV uninfected folks would, would die from, who are older, though, who are, who are considerably older than the age in this group. Uh, inflammation associated with decreased lymphoid function. Just one quick slide to point out an important finding. Uh, Tim Shacker was mentioned before. He's played a big role in this work, and Danny Dewart, was was uh, lead was a senior author in in this paper, showing that um, the 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 in situ destruction of CD4 cells uh, by this virus early on uh, causes inflammation in the places where the cells are dying, and where is that? That's in secondary lymphoid tissue in the lymph nodes, and in this case in the gut associated lymphoid tissue, the largest chunk of secondary lymphoid tissue you have in your body. And that causes a fibrotic inflammatory response, which in turn allows for increased microbial translocation, the, the, the occurrence of endotoxin in serum in a sort of microendotoxemia, and that activates coagulation, potentially being one of the reasons why those D-dimer levels were so predictive of mortality, because it reflected the folks that had the worst damage in situ in their lymph nodes and gut-associated lymphoid tissue allowing the most bacterial translocation. That's a hypothesis that we and others are pursuing at the moment, but this is certainly an important finding. And then finally, comorbidities are critical. I'm looking forward to our next, our next talk about, about the liver and, and, and uh, hepatitis C because that finding uh, we had with CRP not equaling the risk associated with IL-6, we think, is now related to effect on the liver. And this was just the first study we looked at with uh, Carl Grunfeld and colleagues um, in, in uh, San Francisco. And the, uh, the key thing to note here, in both men and women, here's a CRP level in controls. Here's a CRP level in HIV-infected, uh, uh, in this case men, but here's the CRP level in HIV-infected hepatitis C, co-infected men. And we originally thought that this is okay, but this is down. What we now think is that this should actually be here, and this should actually be there, and both of these are representing effects on the liver in terms of the production of, of hepatocyte liver proteins, of which CRP is one. So we have a biomarker problem that you can't actually detect um, uh, the, the proper biomarker levels in the presence of HIV, hepatitis C, and possibly other 
uh, conditions as well because of uh, decreased uh, synthesis and production. That's hepatitis C. Here's CMV. Uh, this was mentioned earlier. I won't dwell on it. Steve Deeks' group, Priscilla Sue, did th these, these, this work. And uh, along with the remarkable finding that in HIV-infected people, um, up to 20% of your circulating effector, like CD8 cells, can be CMV-directed if you're CMV-co-infected. I mean, this is a disaster, right? You've got a, you've got a dysregulated adaptive immune system in the first place, and now you're taking 20% of it and driving it against one single virus that, that at the end of the day isn't even doing all that much damage. And so you've got this, you've got this problem of co-infections with chronic reactivating viruses, but, but the percent of the CMV-specific CD8 cells in this case was clearly related to the wall thickness and the carotids and the amount of atherosclerosis that's going on. So this upregulation of inflammation that's driving the chronic diseases, it's driving you to, to direct too much of your immune system in un, relatively unimportant areas is exacerbated by CMV infection as well, another really hot area for research right now. So... I'll end with our so-called working hypothesis of inflammation and aging. First, with age, quality remodeling gives way to poor remodeling. This baseline aging is driven by evolutionary biology, and there are a number of mechanisms which we discussed. Overall, this is affected by genetics, but at the end of the day, the first thing that happens as you age is you remodel poorly and increasingly poorly. Second is that specific exposures can accelerate organ-specific aging, alcohol in the liver or chronic infectious burden driving towards immunosenescence, hyperlipidemia and vascular sclerosis, etc. You guys can come up with this as physicians and, and nurses and practitioners can come up with as many of these as, as I can. It's a long list of environmental damage we, that, that's done to us. Because we're integrated organisms accelerated in each of these Accelerated damage and aging in each of these organs then affects the whole system, driving us towards frailty. This is called heterodynamism, and this heterodynamic decline of integrated physiology we think is very, very important and leads to a, a, a narrowing of your ability to respond to perturbation, a term Linda and others have, have coined is homeostenosis. Your homeostatic ability shrinks. My 87-year-old mother-in-law and 91-year-old father-in-law live with us, and we live with this on a daily basis. That the, Any of you who work, work with and live with older folks know that their world shrinks, and they want less and less to do with things that are out of the ordinary, and they can respond less and less well, whether it's a physical thing like a cut or a fall, or it's a, a mental thing like you want to go shopping today. No, I'd rather stay home and just sit here. And this, this narrowing of capacity is, is a, a very important concept in aging, of course, also affected by genetics. And then finally, most organ-specific damage also accelerates the overall process because it increases inflammation mediators. <coughs> Excuse me. So atherosclerosis activates coagulation, which in turn increases the inflammatory milieu. From a public health standpoint, which is how I spend most of my time in conversations like these, caloric excess is brutal, fat deposition, increased inflammatory response, accelerated decline. Lack of exercise uh, is, is also a, a huge player in this from a public health standpoint. And unless a single organ's dysfunctionality prevails and you die from an MI or something like that, we're all headed towards this multi-organ failure and death unless we can figure out how to keep ourselves healthier longer. 
And then my last slide simply says that like other chronic diseases, HIV infection provides increased inflammatory stimulation of innate immunity and coagulation, but unique to HIV is the dysregulation on the adaptive side. And we think this may be a more accurate mimicking, therefore, of accelerated aging. And I'll throw in a plug for our third uh, annual workshop on HIV and accelerated aging uh, in Baltimore in October. Thank you very much.